This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. There are two things I find particularly interesting about Viggo Mortensen. One, he got his start in acting in his late 20s, which is relatively, well, late for most actors. And on top of that, he didn't have what many would call his breakout role in the Lord of the Rings trilogy until his 40s. And the second thing I find interesting about him is the fact that acting has always been just the tip of the iceberg for him. From photography to poetry to music, Viggo is one of those creatives where the medium doesn't matter as much as the act of creating itself. And now the multi-hyphenate is adding director to his resume with his directorial debut, Falling. Falling explores a fractured relationship between a father and son with these flashbacks that are really beautifully woven throughout the story to help give it context. And those flashbacks also serve as a layer of storytelling as the father is wrestling with dementia. I've seen this movie and it is absolutely as heavy as it sounds, but it's also really a gorgeous story. In our conversation, Vigo talks about making yet another late-stage pivot in his career with directing and how memory, or his version of it, is tied to creativity. Great. Well, Vigo, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. So, you know, of course, we know you mainly for your acting roles in films such as Eastern Promises, A History of Violence, The Lord of the Rings trilogy, of course. But you're also an incredibly accomplished musician, poet, photographer, painter. And now we can add director in the mix with your latest film, Falling. And, you know, I, I list all that to to ask the question, like, where would you say this sort of creative odyssey of yours began? Because it seems like you just keep collecting all of these. You're multi-hyphenate and you just keep collecting all these hyphenates. So where would you say all this began for you? Well, I think they're just all different ways of doing the same thing. You know, being an artist generally in different mediums is something that feels comfortable to me as a, as a way of communicating. And I mean, I understand why it happens because, you know, as people go from childhood to adolescence to adulthood they're told or they somehow feel even if they were encouraged that they're not artists and so adults tend to separate people between artists and non-artists right and um, kids don't do that little kids they all play they all draw they all make believe if you went up to a four-year-old and or a group of four-year-olds who's the artist here and they'd all probably go yeah I mean really they don't think in those terms of separating and I and I don't know why adults have to do that because Making art of any kind has to do with being present, observing, interpreting what you see, hear, feel, and then expressing, even if it's just for yourself, what's going on. Do you find that, you know, your work as a poet makes you a better musician or does being a photographer make you a better director? Like, how would you say all of these different disciplines build on each other? Like, how did they inform each other? I think they feed each other and they support each other like branches of the same tree, you know, so they do connect and I do like bouncing around. I think that's why I like movie making as a, as an art form, as a, such a complete universe, you know, as an actor, I've always been nosy about it. How do you do it? How do you take something written down to the screen? And it's a long and complicated journey. And over the years, I've learned more and more about the technical aspects of it. But I, I went into acting 
late, relatively late. And at that point, I was already a photographer and I was already already writing. So I had sort of interest in those areas and I was paying particular attention to writing scripts and so forth of scenes, even auditions I was doing. Why are they saying this? And how do you get this across? And how would that look? And as a photographer, I was always, I've always been interested in how things are lit and why they choose certain lenses and then watching finished movies. Why do they make these editing choices? Because that affects how the audience sees that character or their relationship. And there's so many things that go into it. And then just, I mean, I love spending time on my own and I do a lot of work on my own, but I like working with others too. I like the collaborative aspect. I do find it interesting that you, you know, you, you said that you started your career in film as an actor pretty late. And I'm curious to know, like, how did you, you know, before we like really dive into to, to your work as a director, like you, you've done so much as an actor and you've given so much of yourself to so many of these roles. So how would you say those early years, like how did you kind of hone your craft in those early years coming into it kind of late? Like what were those sort of building blocks to, that led you to, you know, this, this powerhouse actor that we know that we know today well thank you for saying that and i don't know who it was i think it was it's a very basic answer but it's it, there's a lot of truth to it i think it was marlon brando some young actor or aspiring actor came up to him at one point in his life and said you know i want to be a really good actor like you are and how do i become a good actor and i and brando said stick around in other words you just got to keep you have to it's a funny thing that you have to develop i think to have a career, you have to be lucky, yes, but you also have to be prepared for luck, you have to work at your craft. It's like, you know, sometimes people watch a performance that just looks easy, you know, it's like everything is very natural. It's like, well, I could do that, he's just being a person. So like, mm, you wouldn't say that about the violinist in the symphony. It's like, oh, he looks like he's very relaxed. Like, well, let me, give me the violin, I'll do it. It's like, you would never think that, but for some people, they see theater, sometimes they even thinking about singers, but not so much. Usually it's, or maybe rappers or something that, mm. you know, they, oh, I can do that. But certainly in movies and plays, especially movies, they'll look at it and go, anybody could do that, I could do that. Not, not so easy, and, and it just takes time. It's rare, a lot of it's just sticking with it, stick, stick around, you know, and you have to both develop a thick skin so that you can take frustration, humiliation, constant series of rejections. That's just the norm. It's very rare that um, the young man or young woman just becomes a star. It happens overnight. And certainly if they become a star overnight, just one role that they maintain that. You have to have some foundation. You have to learn many things, not just how to act, but how to deal with other people, how to communicate, how to take direction and it's when it's going well, acting is the most fun and easy activity in the world, right? But when it goes badly and you can't figure out how to fix it, <laughs> how to make the scene work, it's the most embarrassing because you're usually doing it in front of people. And it might not look as bad to them as you feel, but it's horrible. It's humiliating. It's, it's terrible. And when you accept a job, it still happens to me after all these years. The moment you say yes, you're like, oh man, what did I do? <laughs> I don't know if I can do this actually. I don't know if I'm the right person for that. You know, and then you have to find a way to get there. And I just have developed things over the years. My, my instinct right away, 
and then I've just gotten better refining the process that it entails is my instinct has always been to the one thing I always do, no matter what the kind of movie or character director I'm working with, I ask myself this, that question, what happened for page one, mm. you know, where was the person born, whether they're imaginary or they're a historical figure or not, make it up for yourself. Where were they born? How they were they raised? What did they eat? What was it like? Did they go to school? You know, everything, everything, everything you can imagine. You can spend the rest of your life on that one character if you wanted to. But in the time you had before they start shooting, what happened before page one? That's where I start, you know, and all most of that stuff you're not going to literally use in some visual way or even in terms of dialogue, but it's there. Right. It calms me down. And then and I enjoy that part, the research. And then you put it aside and it's like, well, let's see what the other actors bring. There is many ways of dealing with acting, of, of approaching it, as there are actors probably. You know, I mean, I've certainly met actors who are wonderful technically, but who seem to look at it differently. In other words, they prepare something really well. Like they might know that on a certain line, a tear is gonna roll out of their left eye or they're gonna laugh. <laughs> gonna do a little jig or you know and it's very controlled and they do they can give great performances what they lose though i think is is the ability to play and surprise themselves and surprise others in a way you know well they might surprise the audience because they'll use what's what's working and and it can be fine for them it's just I, i i like to prepare as much as i can in order to just like go okay now what Right. And if you come at me with something that I didn't expect, it's like, oh, now, now it's real. <laughs> now, you know what I mean? And I like that. For other people, it's unsettling, and that's fine. Then there are people who don't want to rehearse. They want to know. They don't even want to learn their lines. They just want it to be free and improvised. And that can be difficult <laughs> to deal with. But in other words, you have to be flexible. And as an actor, you have to learn to adapt to different circumstances and different peoples and, and approaches to, to the work. You have to develop a thick skin because you're gonna, you're gonna be frustrated, you're gonna be disappointed, you're gonna wanna quit. But it's a balance because you have to have developed this thick skin to be able to take the rejection and what feels like humiliation sometimes, disappointment. But at the same time, you have to stay emotionally ideally, you know, open and vulnerable. And then you have to be able to accept that people are, not everybody's gonna like what you do. Sometimes everybody seems to hate what you do or say, and then you either move on or you don't. You either stick around like Brando recommended or you don't. Everybody decides for themselves. We're gonna take a quick break here. And when we're back, Vigo dives into how he captured the art of memory in his directorial debut, Falling. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Now, I want to talk about your movie Falling, which is your directorial debut, and it really is a stunning debut. I mean, from the story itself to how it's told with these flashbacks that are interwoven throughout, why did you choose this story to debut as a director? How did Falling come about for you? At the time I started writing it, I was actually trying to raise the money for a different one, different different story. And uh, 
and it was right after my mom died, you know, um, she had had dementia for a few years before she died. My dad was going into that. And as I say, I've, I've had a lot of experience with that. And when she died, I was trying to remember everything I could about, about that, about her, like you do when someone you love dies, you, everything's very present in that moment, the funeral and maybe weeks after or months after you, and you, but it fades uh, over time. But in that moment, like those pictures you've looked at again, or you, those videos or those diary entries or those stories that people told you at the funeral, some of them may be stories you know, but they're told from a different point of view, uh, sort of subjective thing about memory. And then new stories, oh, I didn't know that about her, really? Wow, you knew her, and where did you know? Oh, you went to school, okay, all right. And so I wanted to remember all that, and I wrote it down in my notebook, basically. And then when I was looking at that a couple of days later, even though I was busy with this other story I was trying to make into a movie. And I thought, that's a good short story, maybe, or a novella or something. Maybe I'll write that. I like the structure of that. I like the differing points of view of, of past events and all that. And even I thought maybe the dementia aspect, that's interesting to explore as well. And I know about it. So on a personal level. So I started writing this thing that quickly became a fictional story about a family. But in a way, it kept alive my feelings, those things that were so urgent, right? When my mom died, instead of it sort of fading away, you know, the intensity of the memories and the feelings by writing this story, even though it's a fiction, because it's based on feelings about my mom and my dad and my relationships with them, I sort of kept that wound open, I guess. You know, there were just variations on, on the theme of my parents, I guess, and, and, and my relationship to them and my relationship to my brothers, you know, uh, all those things. And so by, by making this movie and living with it for so long and then editing it and seeing those faces and see, hearing those words and even working on the music. It just, it's kept, I guess, kept those, I guess I wanted that in a way. I wanna, I wanna keep remembering or honoring the memory in my subjective way, especially of my mother, but also my dad, you know? Yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed that part. I think that's what drove me. But if you said, well, why would you tell, why is this the story you picked to suddenly decide to be a director so late in your life? It's like, well, not that way. One, I wanted to do it before, <laughs> but two, the main reason is because this is the first one I found the money to shoot with. <laughs> it's the first screenplay I got to, you know, turn into a movie. And I find, you know, you mentioned obviously it's not that late in your career. I mean, you're not like, you know, come on, no. give yourself some credit here. But <laughs> you know, no, I mean, it's not. I think it's good in a way because I, if I had gotten to direct that screenplay 25 years ago. I wouldn't have worked in that period. You know, I wouldn't have had the, the benefit of what I've learned from people like David Cronenberg, and not just directors, but cinematographers right. and actors and screenwriters. And because I've been interested in it, I mean, it's one thing if you lock yourself in your trailer and you only show up when you got to shoot, then you, there's a limit to how much you're going to learn. But if you like to be around the set and like, how are they doing that? And how are they interacting? And oh, why are they changing the lights there? You know then you 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 just you sort of take it in you even without realizing it or even writing anything down you're learning mm -hmm. the craft the overall craft of movie storytelling and everything i've learned especially the last 15 20 years 
I wouldn't have had the benefit of that. So it's probably good that it took me this long because I, I probably avoided a lot of beginner's mistakes by not directing a movie until I was 60 years old. So you mentioned a little bit that falling is kind of a meditation on memory in a way. So what about memory do you find compelling from a creativity standpoint? In particular, I've always been interested in storytelling as a way of, I guess, examining what I know, because that's how I perceive things. And, and memory is really important in that. It's crucial. The present is always confusing. On some level, it's unsettled. It's happening as we speak. And what's happening now? I don't know. It just happened. Okay, now it, what happened then? And the future is unknown. We tend to think that the past is, well, at least we know that. I have pictures. I have videos. I have diary entries. I have corroboration from others. I have evidence. But all those pictures and videos and all those diary entries and all those printed accounts and all those corroborations are from the point of view of somebody, you or somebody else. And so I don't think they're very reliable. And as time goes on, those stories we tell ourselves about what happened to us tend to evolve too. And I think what happens is that memory is really more a collection of feelings than a collection of facts, which if you you know, it can be like, oh, that's terrible. No, why, why is that terrible? It's just the way it is. And there can be something beautiful about it. But it's also funny sometimes. You know, you, how many times have you had a situation with a sibling or a friend and you, you were at the same event? And then if it's a long time ago, you might even say to the person, well, you weren't even there. What are you talking about? Or it was summer, it was not winter, it was night, it was day, we were inside, we weren't outside, you know, or subtle differences. And it's, that's what happens to us. And I think we try to control the past in, in order to feel comfortable in the present. And I think this happens with in politics and ideology and activism, everything. It's like, well, I know these facts to be true and I'm standing up for this and that. And the risk is that if you're so dead certain, you're not really listening to the others. And what's most important is to listen to those that you don't like and don't agree with, you know? But I think art is, is about all those things. It's a lot about memory and finding our place in the world. And also because I, I do feel, you know, life is short and I, I wanna see what's happening. I wanna remember, I wanna record things, even if they're subjective. And so whether it's photographs or poems or now making a movie, it's personal, the, the inspiration, it was my mother after she died, and it's a lot of, there are some things in the story of falling that are true as far as I can remember, and in part from my shared childhood with, with my two brothers, which is why I dedicate the movie to them, Charles and Walter, but, but it's not really true, and it, and it became largely a fictional family. It was easier to write. I didn't have to, like, call my brother and go, now, did this happen? I just made up this family, and, and it became about a father and son. But all those things are ways of finding out for myself what I believe is happening. <laughs> you know? And I'm open to changing my mind, but that's what I think is happening. And I want to explore communication, the problem of communication. How do you communicate with someone who doesn't want to communicate with you, who may not even see you? You know, And this, in society, it's obviously an issue now. That's why I say, you know, it's like it's the other pandemic, you know, this thing of not being able to talk, not wanting to talk with other people that are different, that look different, that think differently, um, that you don't like for some reason, that you've learned not to like. What do you do? 
And every person decides for themselves in every moment with every relationship, work, personal, on the street, whatever, you know, you choose to either continue to engage, to try to be as stubborn as that other person is about not communicating, be as stubborn about wanting to communicate. And nothing might happen at all. It might just be one big frustration and a big zero. But there's a chance, however slight, that there might be a point of contact, of empathy. There might be some, and it might go away right away, but it might happen. There might be just a moment where you connect. Is that worth it to you or not? Is it worth it to you to try, even if there's no guarantee that it will happen? What is for sure is if you cut it off and you just refuse to talk to people that are different, then you're not going to advance at all. That's for sure. So I, I wanted to explore that in this case. So thinking back on your experience as a first-time director and over your career as an actor, musician, poet, and all your other hyphenates, how have you come to define creativity? I suppose I'm, I mean, I don't know what it's not like to yearn for it, to want to witness it in others, to want to look at the world in a creative way, even if it's just walking down the street. To me, creativity is about being open and taking the chance that you'll either get hurt or not, but you're definitely going to learn something. Oh, I love that. Vigo, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Creative Conversation. Make sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And as a reminder, this is a bi-weekly podcast, so we'll see you in two weeks with a new episode.